March 29th, 2023, we're in Masechet Betan, Yod Gimal, Amud Bet. If you count from the top of the Amud downward, it's 13 lines down, Amar, the first word on the line. Amar Bishimon ben Lakish, Maaser Rishon Shehik Dimo Bashibolin, Patur Miterumagedola Shene'emar, as the Pasuk says, Vaharemotem Mimenu. Terumat Adonai Maaser Minha Maaser. The derasha is Maaser Minha Maaser Amarti Lecha Velo Terumagidola Utrumat Maaser Minha Maaser. Period. The statement of Bishimon ben Lakish goes as follows If the Levi was Maknimo Bashibolim, which means to say he accepted, he came to the Israel and accepted the Maaser Rishon, which is of course the obligation of the Israel to the Levi, prior to the Israel separating. The Teruma uh, Gedola, which of course is the obligation of the Israel to the Kohen. And Nathan rightfully, or everyone rightfully asks, how could the Israel have not been thinking on his own as he sees the Levi? Let me at least in my mind separate in order to do this properly. For one reason or another, maybe it's their will, maybe it's their vision on this. He doesn't do so. He wrongfully acts. Well, both of them really wrongfully act. And gives the Ma'aser Rishon to the Levi prior to separating Tirumah for the Kohen. And here's how we misspoke this yesterday. The Levi now, in accepting that Ma'aser Rishon, only needs to separate Ma'aser, a tenth of it, and give that to the Kohen. He doesn't need to take what was initially the requisite amount of, which is a small amount, but anything of Tirumah Gedola which means to say the remaining produce, which is in the hands of the initial owner, the Israel, that's still Hayav B'Terumah, albeit in the wrong order. He should have given Terumah and only then Ma'aser Rishon. He should have turned to the Kohen, given them the Reshit Dagan, the Terumah, and only then dealt with the Ma'aser Rishon with the Levi. But he can still and must still take something as Terumah from his produce to give to the Kohen. But that which was taken and given to the Levi already, the Levi was makdim bashibolim. He accepted while it was still in the stalks. It wasn't produced. There was no giman melacha. In such a circumstance, although he's obligated still to take ma'aser mina ma'aser, the tithe, the tenth from the tenth that he received, called terumat ma'aser, giving that to the Kohen, he doesn't need to deal with the initial obligation of the Israel on this produce, which is called terumah gedola. So to a certain extent, because ultimately speaking, we're dealing with produce that's there, which Tiruma was never taken from. Okay. So you're, you're, what's that? It's no longer the first Tiruma at all. But Tiruma was never taken from. It. But you said so it cancels. You said once you give it to the living, it cancels. As I said, it does cancel. The question is exactly how that works. Everyone seems to be okay with it. Yesterday, was, everyone's very annoyed with this. It cancels the produce which the Levi received from an obligation of Tirumah. The initial produce that the Israel's holding on to, this is how I misspoke it yesterday. But it's, I understand what you're saying. So the logic suggests, Nathan, is uh, it'll emerge then that all this produce had a dual obligation, both the Israel and the Levi, says there's no such thing. Alternatively, all of the produce needs Terumah. And you're now effectively ridding some of this produce from the obligation of terumah. That's the counter-argument to you. Regardless, this is the halakha. What's the derasha, says Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish? Because the pasuk describes that you'll take from the ma'aser rishon and you'll be merim, you'll separate, you'll raise up from it 
ma'aser minha ma'aser. It says specifically and only that on ma'aser rishon, the Levi will have one obligation. What's his one obligation? Ma'aser minha ma'aser, taking a tenth and giving it to the Kohen. There's no such thing as an obligation upon the Levi of taking terumah gedola from that. Says the Gemara, but wait a second, Bishimon ben Lakish, I have a different pasuk, which perhaps suggests a different halakha. Amar le Rav Papa le Abaye ihache, First and foremost, I should say, he says, "Ihachev, this is so." I feel hikdimo bakiri name. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, he says, "Your halacha effectively is once something is maaser rishon." Put it in Nathan's words because you're not going to have two people obligated. Put it in the other words. Once it's considered ma'aser ishon, the produce is now canceled out from the obligation of terumah. Irrespective of how you phrase this, once it's ma'aser rishon, once it's, so to speak, the levis, and we look at it and say levis property, there's no longer obligation of terumah, right? Then how come you told me this halakha specifically when it was in the stalks? The halakha that we began with today, we ended with yesterday, the Bishimon ben Lakish says, if the Levi went out to the field and the produce was still in the stalks, he's no longer obligated, or the produce no longer has the obligation of terumah gidola. Why is it only when it's in the stalks? If the idea is once the Levi holds on to it and it's called ma'aser rishon, there's no longer an obligation of terumah gidola, afilu hikdimo bakeri. Keri is when uh, all of the produce is brought into the storehouse. It's ground up, it's separated, it's put together, and you're ready for the smoothing over. If you finish that process, an absolute gemar melata, you still haven't taken terumah, and you give to the Levi the ma'asir rishon, it should be different. In that situation, you're going to tell me that for some reason the Levi does need to take ma'asir, excuse me, terumah from that in order to give to the Kohen? Uh, your words did suggest that. Instead of just stating the way we articulated it, once it's ma'asir rishon, there is no obligation of terumah for the Levi. Your words were if the Levi goes to the field, finds it in the stalks, gets it in that fashion, before the terumah is taken, then you don't give terumah. Well, what does that have to do with the field and the stalks? Question. Are you speaking of the 90% or of the 10%? Talking about the ten percent. That's okay. that's that. That was I began today and said yesterday we talked about it in the ninety. That was a mistake. It's on the ten. It's not even an additional. You never took from this ten percent the teruma that as a Yisrael you were obligated to give. That's the halacha. The Israel is on the 90% that remains. That's that's what we that's that's what yesterday we were not clear about. That's what I. But it, the reason he came early is because he potentially got a little bit more. The, the Levi, but he never would have need. He needs to give ma'asem and ma'aseh still. He needs to give a tenth of the tenth. He doesn't need to give the terumah gedola, which was the obligation of the Israel, which isn't anything. Right? It was never his obligation. But the fact that his produce didn't have it taken, maybe he should. But what did he gain from it? He gained more because now there was more. There was that's right, uh, not ninety percent, because he only would have taken a thirtieth, or fortieth, or fiftieth. But whatever. I'll tell you the question. What's that? When, this is the halakha we learned yesterday, when it's ma'aser rishon, and you gave it first as ma'aser rishon, right? So at that moment, because it got the shem ma'aser rishon, it in turn got a hiyuf terumah. Make it better. So forget about the field, says the Gemara. You only told me the salakha, here's the question, Jesse. You only told me the salakha that once it's ma'aser rishon in that funny case that you're questioning, where you took it in the field and it becomes ma'aser rishon in turn, you would have had an obligation of terumah. And you do have an obligation of ma'aser, but you don't have an obligation of terumah. 
How come you didn't say this in a regular situation? When I walked into the storehouse as a Levi, Joey Levi comes to my storehouse, says, what do you got, Rabbi? And I give it to him. Oh, does he now need to give to him? I didn't give to him yet from that. Does he need to give it? Why didn't you say it like that? Apparently that's not the halakha. Why would you distinguish between if uh, the Levi found me in the field and took it from my stalks or if he took it from my grain? If the derasha is that the obligation of the Levi is only to take a tenth of the tenth, not to take Tirumah from the tenth, uh, so why should you distinguish? Amar le, the response of Abaye Terav Papa is Alecha Amar Kera. He says, alternatively, we have another Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Mikol Matenot Echem Tarimu et Kol Terumat Adonai, Mikol Chelbo El Mikdesho Mimenu. The Pasuk says, importantly, it says, Mikol Matenot Echem. Like it says, from all of that which you received, uh, the derasha is, um, is that the Levi is obligated to take teruma, or there is an obligation stated better of teruma on any and every produce that's brought forth, irrespective of it's, it's now ma'aser rishon or not. So wait a second, I have two conflicting pesukim. One pasuk tells me, mikol matenotechem, from all that which is raised up, you have an obligation to give teruma. Oh. Well, apparently that's only in the normal conditions. The other pasuk tells me you only take terumat ma'aser as a levi once there was already ma'aser. I had you determine one's in the the not normal case and one's in the normal case. That's what the Gemara now questions. I got it. You have conflicting pesukim. Does ma'aser rishon have an obligation of terumat ma'aser, of terumat gidola? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. One pasuk, another pasuk. How do I know when? Says Gemara, umara ita. What made you believe, what made you see in these Pesukim? Now that's talking about the abnormal situation when the Levi will be exempt from giving to Rumagidullah. And the other Pasuk, which is Mikol, is talking about the normal situation. Ha'idgan Idgan answers the Gemara quite simply. Well, one of those two is the normal case, as he said, and the other one is the not normal case. Idgan means it became grain. In one of the cases, it finished its production. You look at it and you say, that is grain. Look at it and you say, that is grain. That's the more normal situation as a result when the pasuk is being inclusive and telling you here's how that works as it's in the normal grain situation. If it's in the abnormal situation I have a pasuk which seems to be the outlying pasuk. I'll apply it over there when it was never collected, never uh, sifted, never uh, ground and so forth. It's out in the field. It's still uh, shibolim. That's and only that situation will be the circumstance where I'll suggest and accept that the levi doesn't need to give the terumah gedola. No, normal situ- well, a normal situation if he got it before the Tirumagidullah, but that already is not a normal situation. Because Tirumagidullah was supposed to be given before the Ma'aseri Shon. But yes, in a normal situation. No, then there's no Tirumagidullah. Everything is normal. The Israel already gave us Tirumagidullah. That's it. Khalas, Tirumagidullah was already given. Right. Is there any benefit to the Israel if he gives the Levi first on his 90%? No. He still has to give Tirumah. He should be given Tirumah on 100% first. That's what he's supposed but to do. He didn't, and the Levi got his 10% because he could right. So now, what the Kohen can do, although it's. The Levi, you say. The Levi. Yisrael, the Israel, he still has to give Tirumah Gedola on his remaining 90%. Right. It, furthermore, again, in other words, what he does have less, but what Nathan's saying is you can overcompensate in terms of how much you give. 
Right, so I have 90% remaining, so instead of giving what I was going to give initially for uh, 140th, I'll give a little bit more, I'll, 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 I'll calculate it. But the fact that I have less in my field now, and technically speaking, I only need to give a 30th or 40th or 50th, I'm going to stick to my number, and as a result, I'll give the Kohen less. That is the fear, and that is the, um, the potential of here. All right, says the Gemara, now that we've dealt with many, and we'll return within this next conversation of the laws of Terumot and Ma'asrot with regards to grain, with regards to Kotniot and so forth, let's talk a little bit about how we got there and bring it back a little bit into the context of Shabbat and maybe a bit of Yom Tov as well. Tanan Hatam, we have a Mishnah which in Masechet Ma'asrot says the following, Hamkalef Se'orin, if a person is peeling his barley, and what does it mean that he's peeling his barley? Um, Rashi explains, uh, suggests that what the type of peeling that you're doing, uh, we'll, we'll deal with that in just a moment, is uh, it's you're, you're taking, that's right, you're taking what was, we'll, we'll have to address this in the context of Shabbat in a moment, but effectively what you're doing is you're taking off the inedible part and separating the part that, that is edible, the kernels of barley. Mekalef ahat ahat ve'ochel. What the person does in such a circumstance, and may do, and we'll discuss why you would do this, is you'll peel one by one as you eat from it. And that's what we call achilat aray. Aray means not permanent, means temporary. In other words, when it comes to the hiyuv of, of ma'asir, as we've discussed, uh, once you have what's called the gemar melacha, the final production stage, you can no longer eat from that produce at all until you separated, extracted your ma'asir. Prior, however, to the Gemar Melacha, as you're in the midst of production, you're allowed to what we call snack on it. And as a result, how do I define I'm prior to production? Well, it's quite simple. I'm peeling and I pop it into my mouth. I peel and I pop it into my mouth. In such a circumstance, that's permitted. V'im kalaf, however, if you even were kolef venatan letoch yado, if you peeled and placed it into your hand, uh, so instead of peeling and allowing for it to drop, a kind of, te- or, or appealing and popping it straight in, you're collecting it in your hand. So I peel and I collect my hand, peel and collect my hand, hayav, you'd be hayav in ma'asir. We would consider that situation um, to be the gemar melacha for this circumstance. You might remember, and it's okay if you don't, I know it was, feels like a, a world ago, we had a machloket on the earlier uh, amud between Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Uda about a similar situation. Do we assume that if a person is being molel melilot, if they're doing a smaller scale production, will recalibrate, will redetermine what's the gemar melacha, what do we consider the final act of produce for this individual? Do we have a standard act of produce? And as a result, this is not a standard uh, mass-produced uh, a stage, and you'd be patur, or alternatively, is this following, and it appears that it is, the opinion who maintained that you go by circumstance by circumstance. What's the person's mindset? He's eating a small amount, he'd be hayav. Mutar, no problem whatsoever. That's achilat aray. That's right. Amar bil azar vechen le Shabbat. Says Rabbi al Azar, these two halachot would line up accordingly with regards to permissibility and prohibition on Shabbat. If you're doing ahat ahat, we would apparently consider that a disha kil aharyad, or better, because even a disha kil aharyad is asumid rabbanan. If you're crushing in a roundabout way, for some reason we're stating that's permitted on Shabbat. Um, but when it comes to the second part, if you're kalaf and atan letoch yado, you're hayav. 
uh, what's the difference over here? How are we dealing with this circumstance? So, so, so Rash, Rashi suggests, if you take a look at Rashi on the left-hand side, uh, Rashi, when he writes, V'chen Shabbat, says, Ahat ahat lahave mitharek tolada dedash dekl'ahar yadhu. Rashi writes, when you did it one by one, it's not considered a toladav dash, which, uh, in other words, an isumin haTorav crushing, because you're doing it roundabout. Aval mishikibesan biado, but if you're collecting in their hand, havya toladat disha vechayav. That is a derivative of disha, and you're hayav. Uh, the very basic and simple question, Rashi, is you're still going to have a prohibition in the first of those two situations. You're still affecting something significant by doing so. So if you take a look at the right-hand side in Tosafot, and, and it should still be Asur, Vim kalaf natan letoch yado hayav, writes Tosafot, piresh Rashi, Vim kalaf mitoch hashibolim, period. Vetema asks Tosafot, hechi mekalefa lerav devitu kase kaase, that's crazy, later on the Gemara ha'amar le'el, the molel melilot me'erev Shabbat, mashmah ha'beshabbat Asur. So again, the Gemara later on will talk about how several of the Emoraim, two of the Emoraim's wives used to collect it on Shabbat. We'll talk about that. But the question effectively on Rashi is, how is this mutar? We learned earlier in the Gemara, yes, a few days ago, that there should be an Isur, even when it's, it's only on Yom Tov that we permit it. We said it'll be Asur at the very least, midrabanan on Shabbat. Therefore, suggest Tosafot so Tosafot, this situation, in contrast to the earlier one we learned on Amud Aleph, is talking about where the items were already separated and it's only that there's still an external shell on them. So the crushing that you're doing is really far removed from the actual crushing of producing something of food stops because you've already effectively done that initial stage of crushing. There's an external shell remaining and you're doing it in a kil'aharyad, in a roundabout fashion. That's what's permitted on Shabbat. Okay, so effectively then what we've set forth is two types of disha of crushing. One is considered gemar melacha for ma'aser and it's hayaf for Shabbat. That's the situation where you're holding on to it after crushing it. And the other case is where you crush and pop into your mouth. That's not considered gemar melacha for ma'aser and it's permitted on Shabbat. Says the gemara ini, is this really so? Veha, this is what I was telling you just a moment ago on Tosafot, rav mekalefale devitu kase kase. Rav's wife would be mekalefet, she would be uh, peeling uh, barley uh, stalks and placing them into many cups, meaning she would collect it on Shabbat. Wait a second, you just a moment ago told me that if I'm collecting it, that would pose a problem. You told me that's a problem of Disha. That's not roundabout and far removed, that's something that's straight up the melacha. Furthermore, and along the same lines, Rabihya, Mekalefale Divitu Kase Kase. Rav Erbihya's wives on Shabbat in their preparation of barley used to set, we used to crush it and place it into cups as a collection for later consumption. That should be forbidden. What you told me is that's considered uh, keva. What you told me is that's considered gemar melacha. How is it that that's... Uh, on purpose. Is it changeable 
It's Mahloket Rashi and Tosafot. What's the Ikar here in our Gemara? Is the Ikar Rashi says it has to do with Kibi'ut? Tosafot says the Gemara in just a moment is going to say clearly it has to do with Gemar Milacha. It's hard for me to fully wrap my head around how that's fully a mahlok in the context of ma'asir, so I understand the way you're testing it out is whether it's keva or gemar melacha. Oh, so the question more than anything is, are you dealing with gemar melacha, the final stage, and did this reach its final stage, or alternatively, is this considered a temporary eating? That has, that has bearings. When it comes to Shabbat, I think they're the same thing. The gemar melacha on Shabbat, I think, will be defined by the kivi'ut. That's why it gets confusing right. here. So Kemar Melacha is so much more able to I hear you, I hear you, but the, the Gemara will in just a moment invoke the words Gemar Melacha. So that, that's, the, that's the counterclaim of Tosafot to Rashi. And again, when it comes to Shabbat, I can't really think of a good reason to distinguish between them. I'm okay saying both of those words. That's why I am somewhat interchanging them. Says the Gemara, so you're right. When it comes to Shabbat, it can and would be permitted in this small-scale operation, the crushing, even to place in the cup on the side. Really? So then when did we have that statement, V'chen le'inyan Shabbat? We, after all, had a statement in the Mishnah. The Mishnah distinguished between the crushing and eating and the crushing and placing. And then we had a statement, V'chen le'inyan Shabbat, so too on Shabbat. You told me, but all of this is permitted on Shabbat. So when did that statement, when was that statement made? In what context is this so on Shabbat? Ela itmar asefa itmar. Rather, if that statement was indeed, and we accept that it was in the Midrash, once applied, they read the Mishnah and Masechet Ma'asrot, they understood it and they they applied something in it to Shabbat, it was under the following conditions. The statement is, Hamolel melilot shel hitim. You might remember the rubbing of wheat uh, stalks. A person's rubbing them like so on any day. Menapeh aliyad aliyad ve'ochel. What you may do is, once you rubbed it as such, and you now have in your hand still a little bit of a mixture, so you rubbed it and you separated the stalk from what remains, but you still have chaff and kernel. What you can then do is, in your hand, kind of go up and down a little bit, sift it by using the wind, by using the air, and then eat it under, in the context of ma'asir. So in this situation, either because it's not a gemar melacha, or because this is achilat aray, that's the mahlokir of haray. We're not on Shabbat yet. We're not on Shabbat. Right now we're in, we're in Ma'asir. Right now we're in Ma'asir. It's considered mutar. It's, it's, it's either not a gemar melacha or it's achilat aray. Vim napach v'natan letoch heko. If alternatively, you picked up your shirt, the bottom of your shirt you're using as a collection device, right? You have, a, let's say, the seam sewed into the back, you took that out. Or alternatively, just you folded up the front of your shirt, and as you're then in your hand, placing it up and down and making certain that you separated the kernels from the shaft, you're placing kernel by kernel into the bottom of your shirt. Hayav b'ma'asir. Why are you hayav b'ma'asir? Gemar melacha, achilat keva, right? In this circumstance, You've established this either as the final stage of production for your small-scale production, or alternatively, and along the same lines, this is my full eating. So with the rabbi, we're no longer in the context of the crushing mechanics, and as a result, we're now going to suggest in Shabbat, and in the context of Maaser, it is no difference. Different in the context of Shabbat, whereas the last one we saw that it's permitted on Shabbat even to collect it over here. Or for some reason going to say Shabbat would be different. Let's see. Amar Bil Azar Shabbat. In this context, Rabbi Azar says it's so too 
when it comes to Shabbat. Uh, what are we dealing with when it comes to Shabbat over here? So yes, as uh, Jared said, and this time we effectively are dealing with the Melachav Borer on Shabbat. The issue is not crushing on Shabbat. You didn't crush anything. You're crushed beforehand. Has to be. You're not allowed to crush it on Shabbat. You're not allowed to be molel mililot on Shabbat. You're not allowed to rub it in between your hands and separate it on Shabbat. So instead, what it is, is I entered into Shabbat and I had a collection of kernel and chaff together, and chaff together, and now I, I went like that. I, I said up and down. Now, as I did so, okay, if you're going to pop it into your mouth. And Siman Shinyotet, basing himself on the Gemara, Masechet Shabbat in one or two places, Shohan Aruch tells us that one of the pre Conditions, or one of the conditions for getting around this melacha called borer, separating on Shabbat, is that there's an immediate consumption. If it's not an immediate consumption, we consider that a melacha. We say that's something constructive in a larger scale commercial type of uh, atmosphere. It's not in a small residential setting where I'm preparing food for eating. As a result, that's the application here in this Mishnah. The application in this Mishnah is how do I apply this melacha borer on Shabbat? If I'm saving the food for a later time, azur. If I'm producing it for immediate consumption, I go like that with my hand, pushing it up and down, then pop it into my mouth. It's permitted. Matkif bar memal. I still have a question. Says the Gemara to this suggested explanation of the statement of the inyan Shabbat is only for the latter part of the Mishnah. Just straight up biyat, he's saying. The answer is you don't. Once we were mentioning it in the context of ma'asir, so we threw it over to Shabbat, and we just said the hayuv is the bigger hidush le'inyan Shabbat. But yes, biyad on Shabbat, even without using the air, would be uh, no problem whatsoever. Effectively, what you told me just a moment ago, and we've been working with, is that the first part of the Mishnah, the crushing part of the Mishnah, remember the crushing part of the Mishnah, which we talked about just a moment or two ago, the kilifata se'orim, when you're peeling the barley stalks, we said when it comes to ma'asir, if you're peeling the barley stalks and not immediately uh, putting them into your mouth, you have a problem. It's gemar melacha, it's achilat keva. By Shabbat, it's permitted. Remember the wives of the two rabbis, they would collect them. Is there such a thing? Have you ever heard of such a thing? That we're determining in the context, and this is Tosafot's proof, Jared, in the context of ma'asir, it's considered final stage of production. Oh, that's significant. That tells me in the business world, so to speak, the agrarian, the farmer world, this is final stage of production. And then it comes to Shabbat. Oh, but you're allowed to do that. Well, one second. Come on. You're not understanding the reality out in the field. Right? In the field, we consider this final stage of production. On Shabbat, what's going to determine whether it's Asur or Mutar? If it's Melacha or not. If it's a real constructive act. Is this a constructive act? In the business world, we consider this a constructive act. In the context of Maaser, it's the final stage of production. You tell me it's permitted on Shabbat? Oh, come on. Had, had you, that's right. How could you distinguish? I got it. You have the rabbi's wives. And I understand. So the rabbi somehow, how do you explain that? Doesn't make any sense to me. Says the Gemara, I do. I can find the situation. I'll have to explain why. By Shabbat, something will be more permitted even though in the business world, in the farming world, it's a gemar melacha. How so? Well, first let me give you an analog. Let me give you another case. Matkif la rav sheshat bere de ravidi velo. 
Is it not so? Do you not find another case or other cases where in the context of ma'aser, I'm calling that the business, it's considered gemar melacha, in the situation of Shabbat, it's mutar. Veha giranan lemaaser. In a situation when you collected piles in the context of ma'aser, and we'll read the words in a moment, but I'll tell you beforehand, as we've discussed, when it comes to ma'aser, you need gemar melacha. Now, gemar melacha means two things. It means that the item, especially when its fruits have already ripened, but it furthermore potentially means I finished my production. What if the item has not ripened, but I finished my production? For example, we'll read in just a moment, something like an apple. An apple comes off the tree and apparently it still has some sort of flowery, I've seen this, it has a flowery top to it. Now once that, it, it dries up enough and that flowery top falls off, that's when we say that's gemar melacha in and of itself, that fruit is finished. What if I collected them while they still have those flowery tops and I put them in a pile? Haven't I designated that pile as a final stage? Haven't I already collected it and said, I'm not waiting for it to dry up in the field? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. And as a result, even though it still has the flowery top on it, you're hayab b'ma'asir. And so too we'll see by onions and other sorts of vegetables and, and fruits of such as, what's that? Before you piled it up, while it's still, no problem. Oh, so the example, how's that an example? What about, on, what about on Shabbat? Are you allowed to make piles of things in your home on Shabbat? So you say, well, I'll tell you, yes. So as a result, you see, sometimes something is, something is considered gemar melacha in the context of ma'aseh, but when it comes to Shabbat, it's not so. You understand the point? The point is, I've now given you an analogous case where by gemar melacha, by considering the business world, this is a final stage, on Shabbat it's not so. The truth is, as Rashi points out, when it comes to Shabbat, if you're me'amer, if you pile things in the field, that is prohibited. But here we're talking about you're piling it in your house. First says the gemara, ditran, we have a mishnah, ezu gornan lemaaseh, how is it uh, by ma'asir? Sometimes the collection, the pile of them, will consider it hayav b'ma'asir. Hakishuin v'hadiluin. These uh, gourds and uh, and other such uh, cucumbers. Mishiyifa kesu. It's from when the flowery top comes off. Veshelopiksu. Even if the flowery top didn't come off, mishiyamid arema. It's when you piled them up. It's hayav b'ma'asir. Utnan namegabe besalim. And similarly, you have by onions. Mishiyamid arema. It's when you have a pile. Ve'ilu gabe shabbat. When it comes to shabbat in context. You're allowed to, in your home, pile them up. Rather, what must the underlying principle and distinction, the difference between ma'asir, business, and Shabbat be? Says the Gemara, the same way over there by me'amir, by piling it. Whereas in the business world, in the ma'asir world, we'll say the pile is gemar melacha by Shabbat. Me'lechet ma'ashevet has to be constructive. Not just final action, not just productive, constructive. Am I constructive in putting a pile? Absolutely not. So too, by, so therefore, by Shabbat, you're patur, you're mutar. So too, says the Gemara, we bring you back to the distinction we mentioned earlier. What was the distinction we mentioned earlier? The crushing we mentioned earlier, the peeling off. The difference over there is, although it's considered Gemar Melacha in the context of Ma'aser, by Shabbat, it's not constructive. By Shabbat, it's not Melechet Mahashevet, and therefore it would be mutar. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.